forgot to put my rocks back on. Hold on. We made it. Apologies for all the glitches. I don't know what we'll do if we don't have Zoom. That's really hard to even imagine, right? We've now become so dependent on it for everything um, or something like that. I don't know what we would do if we didn't have this capacity. So um, as usual, we'll extend our warm welcome to all of you from wherever you're Zooming in and to people who may be listening to this later, uh, and especially Sangha's in Madison, England, Switzerland, Alpine, Texas, and our dear friends in Hawaii and Chicago. So Apamata will remain closed for the time being. Um, this is to assure the safety of the Sangha, and we hope you'll be patient as we attempt to learn how to allow folks to return safely. It may be quite a while before we feel that's a safe thing to do. So our May intensive has been moved up to June 22nd to the 28th. It'll be an integrated intensive and we'll get more information out soon about that. And we'll continue our practice period for the time being. So please pay attention to the four Brahma Viharas, both as you're receiving them and as you're radiating them. As a reminder, our theme for this practice period is the Brahma Viharas, or four, four immeasurables of benevolence, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. And Joan has graciously agreed, agreed to continue in her role as head student through June, so please take advantage of teas with her. And Tuesday Flint will again offer inquiry. The link is in the calendar. And Saturday morning, there's a meditation and discussion of women in Zen at eight followed by the Buddhist Action Now meeting, which has moved to two o'clock. So there are many, many offerings every week, so please consult the calendar for how to connect with those offerings. We're uh, having to sort of fuss with the Zoom settings, so some of those URLs may change. So um, please click the calendar event for the most recent uh, link. Okay. Today, um, my talk is, where do you come from? So many koans begin with this seemingly ordinary question. This is one of my favorites from the Book of Serenity. It's case 12. I'll read the introduction first and then the koan itself. Case 12, Dijong planting the fields. The introduction. Scholars plow with a pen, orators plow with the tongue. We patch-robed mendicants lazily watch a white ox on open ground, not paying attention to the rootless, auspicious grass. How to pass the days? The case. Dijong asked Xuxian, where do you come from? Xuxian said, from the south. Dijong said, Buddhism in the South these days? Shushan said, there's extensive discussion. Dijong said, how can that compare to me here planting the fields and making rice to eat? Shushan said, 
What can you do about the world? Dijong said, what do you call the world? It's a good question, don't you think? Almost as good as how to pass the days. We thought we knew what the world was. We engaged in extensive discussions about it, in fact. What were we missing that is obvious now that the ground has disappeared from beneath our feet? What were we plowing with? The tongue, the pen, the computer keyboard, the smartphone screen. Now we're like the mendicant monks, watching a white ox grazing and not paying any attention to the grass. How are we passing our days? Our lived everyday experience is our actual response to this koan. What do we call the world? We have the ability with our technology to bring together people coming from great distances, sometimes. We're fortunate that our spiritual tradition is not dependent on gatherings in churches, in buildings and grounds, finance committees, youth outreach ministries, missionary ventures, and church socials. It is a practice grounded in everyday activity and in the simple act of stopping, coming into stillness, and silence. Its qualities of present moment awareness can be practiced anywhere, alone or with others. This uh, unexpected COVID precipitated upset in our daily lives and tasks and obligations allows us to step back and notice what we are paying attention to, what we are giving our energy and care to. Further, we can explore and deepen that quality of attending anywhere and in any activity. We find in spiritual friendships the support for that process of waking up in our own lives and discovery of what really matters, what our heart's aspiration truly is. But those friendships are not themselves dependent on our being in the same place. They're dependent on our intentions expressed in thoughts, words, and actions. We're discovering in these times that our ways of relating are shifting. Yet the aspiration for connection and mutual support is still strong. We're highly adaptable creatures and we will adapt to these ever-changing circumstances as well. Our practice provides a powerful foundation from which we can meet whatever is arising. I think we are all still in a bit of shock about how swiftly the circumstances have changed and how global this change has been. But we are continuing to learn how to adapt and manage the new reality we inhabit. Suddenly, life and death are of supreme importance and not only our own. Every day we're confronted with their absolute reality in stark numbers in the ways that people we know begin to be stricken. In this, our practice is invaluable, keeping us awake and aware, asking us over and over again to discover how to live from an open heart, a boundless mind, and an interdependent web of relationships. What does it mean to express mindful, energized care in each new moment? 
What struck me this week is how it's as though we've been transported by spacecraft to another planet, a planet eerily similar to our own. There are beings like ourselves, some kindly and some combative, and many of them seem to speak our language. There's a different social structure in which people keep apart from each other rather than gathering together. It is alien and weird to see so many stores and restaurants and shops just like at home, yet utterly empty and dark. Or alternatively, with goods rushed outdoors and hurriedly deposited in waiting vehicles. The air is cleaner than on our former planet, yet so many people are wearing masks. It's puzzling and strange. Only the children seem unaffected, drawing with chalk on the sidewalks, giggling, and riding their tiny bikes. When we are apart, we cannot reach out and touch each other, hug each other, sit knee to knee in quiet contemplation. It is easy to feel lonely, separate, abandoned, or shunned in this world. We must find the ways to connect at a deep level on this new planet. Our zazen practice is a basic and simple process for grounding ourselves and opening a vast space within. Maybe you felt a deep emptiness or even a sense of despair in this situation. I think that is not only normal, but essential. We're facing a hard koan. What is emptied out is all of our old assumptions about ourselves, about other people, about the world itself, our old habits, beliefs, routines, expectations, judgments, and self-centered orientations just vanished. Even the tiny certainties in our everyday lives that we can buy yeast at the grocery store, that we can meet a friend for lunch at a restaurant, that our office will be humming with activity are upended. Suddenly, we're filled with questions and great doubt. This happens all the time, of course. People face upending events all the time. Yet it has never happened all at once on this scale, globally. We are powerless in new ways and so confused by it. And we're transfixed by the spin in the news cycle, the experts, the politicians, the endless litany of everything that is terrible, heartwarming, creative, broken, hopeful, devastating. We, we really don't know. On this new planet, there is no past, no future, and no present. There's only this one ongoing activity which every living being is sharing. What is a bodhisattva doing in this moment? We look around and we can see evidence of bodhisattva activity everywhere, so we can be heartened in the midst of the resounding silence, the distance, the tidal wave of change we're immersed in. Our practice is not about singing hymns, listening to sermons, trying to be good boys and girls so that we can end up in heaven and not some terrible other place. It is about listening deeply to our heart's true, clear aspiration, born of wisdom and compassion. It is about the creative expression of that aspiration right now in this moment in this new reality. We are, as we always have been, on our own. Not on my own, on our own. The fabric of Sangha is not so frail that it can be destroyed by our physical separation. The Buddha's disciples wandered far on their own, 
teaching the Dharma wherever they found themselves and practicing often in solitude. This Dharma, the teachings that have survived 2,500 years of every kind of catastrophic change, is resilient. And now we have the opportunity to participate in the evolutionary changes that are underway in our own time, to infuse them with the values of benevolence, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. <clears throat> but to do so, we need to train and we need to practice. There's no time for dithering around here. I've heard from some folks that they feel disengaged, distracted, unsettled in their practice. I think that is understandable, given the jolt we've experienced, the alien planet we now find ourselves on. But it is our practice that will provide the resources and nourishment we need in these times that will sustain us and enable us to be awake to the possibilities for awakening ourselves and others in every situation. When we are in free fall, we need the stability that our practice offers and we need the spiritual friendships that nourish and sustain us. And we need to remember that we practice not for our own well-being, although that is certainly a benefit, but as a support for others. We practice as an expression of our care. We are confronted daily with the Dharma. The truth of suffering is constantly before us, even when we ourselves are comfortable. We are aware that our situation can change in an instant, that our well-being is precarious. The immediacy of suffering is all around us. This is, the Buddha taught, a truth realized by the noble ones, the ones who have awakened. And we can see, too, the truth of the origin of suffering, the yearning in ourselves and others for things to be different, our quarrel with life as it is. Arising within us is the resistance, the rebellion against all that we dislike, all that we fear, all that we find oppressive and unwanted. The noble ones realize this, too, and they regard our struggles with compassion. Can the suffering be ended? Will a vaccine end it? A treatment plan? A government stimulus check? It should be obvious that there are no endings until there is an end to our battles against reality. When we give up, since reality always wins, when we surrender our demands that the world and its beings serve our wishes, satisfy our yearning, end our suffering, as well as the suffering we are creating for others, all of that ceases. This too is realized by the noble ones, the ones who are awake. What does a life like that look like? How do we find the path to it? You can go exploring if you like. You can blunder around in confusion or become apathetic, or you can find a map. The Eightfold Path is a map. If we're finally fed up with suffering, if we've given up on all the ineffectual ways we've tried to distract ourselves, protect ourselves, and numb ourselves to our own suffering as well as the overwhelming suffering of others, we might be tempted to finally take a look at the map. Maybe we will wake up then, like the noble ones. We begin with the necessary first step, right view. Well, that means my view, doesn't it? Everybody else's view is either right, like mine, or a very wrong view. It's our first stumble on the path. 
Right view in our practice is about clarity of view, and in that sense, complete view. We sometimes speak about our practice as a perspectival. This means that we can see a situation from every other viewpoint. We understand why people hold those views, and we do not dismiss them. It does not mean that every other viewpoint is equally valid, which is extreme relativism. The Buddha clearly taught that there are wrong views, views that are unwholesome or destructive, views that are nihilistic, or views that are essentialist are, in the Buddha's teaching, wrong views. However, the Buddha did not make this a moral issue, it's a practical one. Wrong views will not get you where you want to go. If your aspiration is for awakening, and for serving. Even to follow the map, you need right view from the very start. It's not a matter of your opinion. We've all been pretty sure of where we're going only to find that the map disagrees. If we insist on our opinion, or if we abandon our perspective, either way we end up lost. Use the map. The Buddha also warned against fixed views. Right view is not a fixed view from which you can battle others for the higher ground. We must realize that any view is provisional, impermanent, adaptive to situations, subject to new learning and experience. When we learn and evolve, when we move to a different ground, our view changes, our horizons shift, and we understand different experiences. So our view is always about clarifying and aligning with life itself. When we bring our Brahma-Vihara practice to this issue of right view, we can see that it is not merely a matter of seeing clearly or comprehensively. Suppose we are infused with and radiating kindness or benevolence, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. How does that change our view? How does it change our perspective on others' views? How does it change our demand that the world accord with our view? It is absolutely necessary to establish right view in order to unfold the map of the Eightfold Path and head in the direction of awakening. And what follows is right intention, which directs our energy and attention out of our deep care and vow. Right speech, that is speech that's truthful, meaningful, caring, wise, and connecting. Right action, action that supports life the relief of suffering, and liberation for oneself and others. Right livelihood, our means of supporting ourselves through meaningful work. Right effort, where we put our energy, our time, our skills, our resources for the benefit of all beings, free of greed, hostility, and ignorance. Right mindfulness, what we pay attention to and the quality of that attention. So this is something we spend a lot of time focusing on and training in. Right concentration, our wholeheartedness and fully integrated being beyond confusion and distraction. So suppose that each one of these dimensions of the path is also infused with kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. This is the true path of the Bodhisattva. This is our path. Where do you come from? In every moment, you can ask yourself this question, in every conversation, in every Zoom session. It is a broad and open inquiry, 
Where am I coming from? And it's also mutual. We can hold at the same time that inquiry of others. Where are they coming from? Maybe we are not sure. We need to find out, mostly by listening. The ancient Zen masters practiced this in their penetrating gaze and this question that seems so innocent and trivial. Where do you come from? I come from the kitchen. I come from Wisconsin. I come from parents locked in struggle. I come from the country. I come from Austin. I come from the university. I come from this aging body. I come from motherhood and grandmotherhood. I come from Charles Cooper, Ed Hutchins, Mary Barr, Joko Beck, Flint Sparks. I come from Buddhism and our Zen ancestors. I come from not knowing. And I come from all of you, our Sangha. I come from this time, the time of pandemic, the time of upheaval and renewal, the time of spring, the time of longer days and violet evenings and summer nights spangled with stars ahead. Of course, I miss seeing all of you in the Zendo and the easy connection and physical experience of hugs, shared laughter, a hand on the shoulder. But I feel you coming together, even across great distances, even through a screen, and even without your physical presence. I can feel your care for each other, for this practice, and for the wise and compassionate teachings of the Buddha. Our technologies have been a blessing and a curse, but in this, I'm grateful for the way we're allowed to be together when we're distant from each other. Let's keep practicing the Brahma Viharas and see how our path unfolds, each in our place, yet warmly connected, and on this strange planet together. So I wanted to allow time to do some uh, breakout rooms for folks. Um, and, uh, and then we'll do service in about uh, 15 minutes or so. So I'm going to um, ask the host to set up some breakout rooms and, uh, and we'll have a chance to connect in a uh, little bit smaller groups. Um, Peg, do you have a preference on group? How many in a group? Maybe four. Okay. Yeah. Means we'll have one group of three, but we have the dreaded prime number of participants, so. And for about 15 minutes or? Yeah, about 15 minutes, I'd say, till about 10.30. that thing. Um, oh, really nice for me to visit. With I found it very useful. Yeah, yeah it helped me. Good. Our group just did a virtual hug and it felt really good. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. <clears throat> That's wonderful. You guys are so creative. <laughs> at the um at the open mic that i host we do this instead of like hand clap and uh, that is always a really nice connection oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> Gotta share the love and send the love somehow. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, so, supposedly, you can get the same physiological experience from a photograph that you can from a life interaction. So it should work. Should work. Should <laughs> work. It's certainly and, wonderful. And Grace yeah. improves it. It's really wonderful to see all your faces, I must say, you know, uh, so delightful. So, and I hope it's still, um, it still seems uh, helpful to see the Zendo and all that, you know. My sister said, you know, you could be in Chicago and doing this same thing. And I said, yeah, but, you know, there's something about the Zendo that's special. So, yeah. I don't know anyone else is making their own zendo but gradually my office has been more and more of a zendo yeah I, we should talk about this sometime about setting up a home altar in a little space you know how yes. helpful that is you know and it's a, another part of our tradition because householders even where, the, where there's a big distinction between the monks and the householders householders have a little household altar and uh, so that there's something that feels sweet about that and you can put on it a you know photographs of people you love to have died or um, names that are important to you and make it special and personal uh, to yourself. Just put what, uh, what is meaningful for you. Uh, Chosen used to put dead cockroaches on the altar. <laughs> Life and death being of supreme importance, but. <laughs> well, I want to thank Anne and Kim so much oh, for yeah. all their efforts to make this happened this morning. Brian, they were they and just worked out turning cartwheels. <laughs> yeah, did we have to get a new Zoom ID or a meeting ID? That didn't work. We're using Anne's account. <laughs> ah, it's a long okay. story. <laughs> well, I but, believe but we're going to test it after this. I believe whatever you do, you may be able to keep the same tiny URL and change the um, what's behind it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, change the long URL that's behind it. I think you're. I think you may be able to do that. So it'd be great if we could keep the same URL because I have it on a sticky on this uh, desktop here. No, I think I think I tried it <laughs> once more. There was someone in a waiting room for the other one and then I tried it again and it seemed to work and be fine. Oh, so, okay. okay. So it's just so a temporary. We got off to a bad start. Ah. Like a corrupted start. Ah, I see. So okay, that's, well. that relates to where did you come from? Like, where? <laughs> yeah. We came yeah. from the wrong place. It relates <laughs> to our nation's history or something, you know, like <laughs> the whole long chain of karma that we're dealing with. And there was someone with a very strange name, and we, we kind of attribute all our problems to that person who's not wow. here now. To the, the other, other. To the other, to the alien. Yes, the other, yeah. but now we have, the a, other, yeah. we, we have a reason for our problems. Okay. Well, at least we have a scapegoat, right? Yes. Uh, that's the important thing. The important thing is to have a scapegoat. <laughs> Nick, that was uh, a lovely karma talk. Thank oh, you so much. Yeah. Oh. Well, that one should go on YouTube. Ah. Well, we're putting them on now. Oh, oh are you? Good, good. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, um, I think we should do a service, right? I'm trying to figure out, you know, where the breakout rooms should go. Should they go after service, do you think, or should they go before service? I thought that was good. Yeah, I kind of liked how we broke out and then came back. Yeah, I did yeah. too. I, I think it's good to have a chance to have a little discussion around whatever might get raised up, you know, stirred up by the talk, whoever's right. doing the talk. And, um, and so, yeah, so then we'll try and come back and we'll do service and that'll sort of settle us back down again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming and thanks for continuing to support Appamata. It really makes it possible for us to keep doing what we're doing. And we love you and we want you to be happy and well and safe. And so far, as far as we know, uh, Sangha members are. So keep doing things that work. Don't get casual about it. All right? Okay. Thank you. Thank <clears throat> you.